0: We're listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. Welcome to our Living for the Cruise series. Over the past 40 years, since his breakout starring role in the 1983 comedy Risky Business, one of our most enduring movie stars has been Thomas Mavithur IV, otherwise known as Tom Cruise. He has excelled in a variety of genres, but most recently mainly in action, and just last year he starred in the biggest hit of his career, Top Gun Maverick. Well, as a follow-up this year, we will see his return to the beloved Mission Impossible franchise, once again playing IMF agent Ethan Hunt. Over the next several months, I will be revisiting one notable Tom Cruise movie each month, and each from a different era of his career, culminating with the July 14th U.S. release of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, Part 1. Collateral, which came out in 2004 and was directed by Michael Mann. It stars Tom Cruise, Jamie Foxx, Jada Pinkett Smith, Mark Ruffalo, Bruce McGill, Barry Shabaka henley Peter Berg, Richard T. Jones, Irma P. Hall, and Javier Bardem. The genre would be urban thriller. I'm in town on a real estate deal, closing one night. I got five stops to make, collect signatures, see some friends, and then I got a 6 a.m. out of LAX. Why don't you hang with me?
1: Oh, the car's not for hire, man. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll make it 600. I don't know, man. Yeah, you do. Six hundred. Cool. We got a deal. What's your name? Max. Max. I'm Vincent. Oh no! What the hell? My man, you all right? Damn it! Hey, hey, he he, he fell on the calf. I Think he's dead. Good guess. You you killed him? No, I shot him it's in the fall kill them you drive a cab i'll make my rounds you might make it through the night i can't
0: drive you around why are you killing folks it ain't my job tonight it is If, like me, you worship at the Church of Man, Michael Mann, then he seems to have directed a movie aimed at hitting all of your sweet spots. I really like this film, and yet I can't help but feel as if it has to be the most self-aware Michael Mannish ish film he has ever directed. It kind of even feels fanservice-y at times, as if he was determined at the screenplay level to check off every box to give his devotees what they expect from a Michael Mann joint. You've got all of the greatest hits. Primary focus on the cat and mouse and interactions between two sharply drawn protagonists on opposite sides of the law. L.A. After Dark. Traversing across several different neighborhoods, often with long shots of downtown or the ocean in the background. Brief, glancing romance established between one of the protagonists and a woman who is much more articulate than he is. Extensive screen time devoted towards demonstrating the precise nature of at least one protagonist's job. A synth score punctuated with needle drops both elegant, groove armada... And clunky, audio slave. Yeah. And of course, one final mano a mano shootout between the two protagonists when you also realize just how much respect they have grown to have for each other. Okay, did I miss anything? Now, this is not meant to imply that any of this is bad, mind you. It's all beautifully shot. The digital photography at the time was groundbreaking, and it still feels pretty mind blowing with help from DP's Dion Beebe and Paul Cameron. It's well paced and well-acted by a cast filled with top talent, many of whom seem to just be relishing the fact that they are acting in a Michael Mann movie. Not least of all crews. First time in L.A.? Nah, tell you the truth, whenever I'm here, I can't wait to leave. It was, it was sprawled out, disconnected. You know, that's me. You like it? It's my home. 17 million people. This is going to be the fifth biggest economy in the world, and nobody knows each other. I read about this guy who gets on the MTA here dies. Six hours he's riding the subway before anybody notices his corpse doing laps around LA, people on and off sitting next to him. Nobody notices. Who's actually sporting the Grey Dew for the first time, and last time, while seemingly wearing the same exact suit that De Niro wore for heat. Cruz's Vincent is the type of warrior poet assassin who could go into a crowded dance club surrounded by feds, bodyguards, and heavily armed cartel thugs and still nail his target. And the same goes for Max, who's played by Jamie Foxx, a menschy, almost nebbishy common working man type who avoids all traffic around L.A. and who's ready to unleash his inner badass as soon as those spectacles come off, like Clark Kent. Now, these do not feel like real-life people in the real world, and that seems to be the idea. They really only exist within the type of digitally lit, heightened LA universe that Michael Mann has created for him. And I can remember that's what threw me off first seeing this in theaters and why it's easier for me to enjoy this now. As a director, Michael Mann is trotting out the classics, but he's not going for heat levels of realism. And I love it, but I don't often buy what's transpiring on screen. And accepting that, I can still really enjoy this movie. Just relishing in Hollywood conventions while also elevating them. Okay, look, here's the deal and you were gonna drive me around tonight and never be the wiser, but El Gordo got in front of a window, did his high dive. We're into plan B. Still breathing? Now, we gotta make the best of it. Improvise, adapt to the environment, Darwin, shit happens, I Ching, whatever, man, we gotta roll with it. I
1: Ching, what are you talking about? me? you threw a man out of a window. I didn't throw him, he fell. <laughs>
0: Everyone involved is doing a banger job, and if nothing else, this is more along the lines of an urban western than a sprawling crime epic. If you're a fan of man, then that should suffice. And this brings me to the categories. And because this is part of the Living for the Cruise series, we have the first category, which is the cruisiest moment. Tom Cruise has become such an otherworldly star to the point where many have often speculated as to whether he's in fact a real, living, breathing human being. And the cruziest moment would be the moment in this film which most brings this speculation to light. Now, being that this is a rare villain turn for the Cruise Missile, as I affectionately call him, Collateral offers you the unique opportunity to witness how Tom Cruise would portray a full-on slasher villain, going into full-on Terminator or Predator mode in a determined fashion as only Cruise can pull off. And this would be the now-famous Fever Club sequence about two-thirds of the way through the movie, when we see Cruz's Vincent stalking through a crowded floor of dancers, laser-focused on taking out his fifth-assigned target, who was sitting in a large, fortified booth on the other side of the dance floor. And we just see him literally wrecking shop as he gets closer and closer, He's shooting federal agents point-blank in the head, stomping on the femurs of bodyguards assigned to protect his subject, and even stabbing a few in the side when they get close. It's an impressive action sequence, which apparently was the partial inspiration for a similar one, which we would see 10 years later in the first John Wick movie. And even though props need to go to man, along with his DPs and just how well it is shot, it's still Cruz who really sells it. As we have seen increasingly over the past two decades through action films like the Mission Impossible movies, Edge of Tomorrow, and of course Top Gun Maverick, Cruz has garnered a reputation as a top flight, pun intended, man of action. And not only with his fluid fight moves and his running, but just the hyper intense grimace on his face. He is genuinely scary to watch in this sequence.
1: There's Lynn, second move to the left. Get him out of here. Vincent. Please, Vincent. Oh, please. FBI, FBI, get your hands in the air! Get your hands in the air,
0: Vincent. Up. FBI. get your hands in the air, get your hands in the get your hands your the air, I'm not the guns down! The next category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. Wow, talk about a movie with some great scenes. There's one early on which narrowly misses the cut for my personal favorite trailer moment, which I'll get to in a bit, but I'll include it here because the music just makes it that much better. I'm, of course, referring to an introductory cab ride at night in L.A. with Fox's Max meeting Annie as his latest fare. She's a district attorney elegantly played by Jada Pinkett-Smith. She's tense and she just wants to get to her destination. But what results is probably one of the great romantic pickup scenes of recent cinema.
1: You mind turning that up?
0: Like the classics.
1: I do. I used to play in high school. Let me guess, woodwinds? No, strings. I never had the lungs for wind instruments.
0: Could have fooled me by the way you were unloading on that cell phone.
1: Different instruments.
0: Seriously, guys, this is how you do it. Of course, it does help to look like Jamie Foxx. The conversation between these two is just so sweet and effortless, it feels as if we're being transported into the opening scene of a mysterious rom-com. You can see moment to moment how Annie starts to let her guard down to Max and relate to him not just as a random driver, but someone she can form a genuine connection with. Besides some nice chemistry between these two, though, what really helps sell this scene is Max's music choice for the cab as they drive into the night.
1: How do you like being a lawyer? What are you, psychic? A little bit. There's the dark pinstripe suit, elegant, not too flashy, that rules out advertising, plus a top drawer briefcase that you live out of, and the purse, a Bottega. Anyway, a man gets in my cab with a sword, I figure he's a sushi chef. (laughs) You? (laughs) Clarence Darrow. Well, no, not quite. You work defense. I'm a prosecutor. Oh, big okay. case?
0: This smooth, mid-paced mood music is performed by Groove Armada, a British electronic duo who's been doing this for about 25-plus years. And it features guest vocals from a familiar name for me, whom I just cited on recent episode High Flying Bird, as he sings some prominent songs for that soundtrack. Yes, that would be the late, great folk blues singer-songwriter Richie Havens. Well, I guess I must just really like this guy's voice. The whole thing has a dreamy, romantic sound, which helps sets the perfect mood for Max's budding cab ride courtship of Annie. The song is called Hands of Time. The next category would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now, even though much of this movie is in essence a twofer between Cruz and Fox, it is jam-packed with a supporting cast of prominent supporting actors, most of whom do get at least a few minutes to shine, including Mark Ruffalo, Irma P. Hall, Barry Shabaka Henley, and Javier Bardem, whom I'll get to in the next category. However, one prominent performer who I feel is not utilized particularly well is the legendary character actor Bruce McGill, who has been killing it in such a variety of comic and dramatic roles over the past 40-plus years, I just lose count of how many I've enjoyed him in, from top-flight comedies like Animal House and My Cousin Vinny to great dramas like Man's Own The Insider, which actually features Bruce McGill in what might be the best fist-pumping scene in that entire movie, even stealing it from the likes of Al Pacino and Russell Crowe, no less.
1: Mr. Modley, we have rights here. Oh, you've got rights. And lefts. Ups and downs and middles. So what? You don't get to instruct anything around here. This is not North Carolina, not South Carolina, nor Kentucky. This is the sovereign state of Mississippi's proceeding. Wipe that smirk off your face! Dr. Wagon's deposition will be part of this record!
0: And yet, in collateral... The prominent role that he has given as the FBI officer, Pedrosa, who's in charge of tracking the various trial witnesses whom Vincent has actually been dispatched to assassinate, well, it's kind of a nothing role, just here to help drive the plot forward. I mean, look, we are talking about a Michael Mann movie, the guy who gave us Heat, Manhunter, and Miami Vice, so the bar has been raised. You can usually be assured that when it comes to portraying law enforcement, they will be portrayed with some depth and intelligence, but not this character who truly comes off as just exceedingly incompetent in an over-the-top manner resembling Sergeant Powell in Die Hard. Only in that movie, we at least got some good laughs out of that character. Not here, as McGill is just simply window dressing. Hi, okay, how are you? Agent Frank Pedrosa. Good, thanks for seeing us, Frank. Yeah, you're welcome. How can I help? What's up? Why do you want to know about our case? Any unusual activity tonight. Like what? That relates to a murder or a series of murders in Wilshire Central or West Hollywood.
1: All quiet on the Western Front? Various people are asleep, various people are not. They come and go in cars, pickups, taxis. Other than that, we watch air move.
0: In a role that really doesn't give him anything interesting to do, as apparently he's leading this FBI task force monitoring an ongoing criminal investigation of a drug lord, which is about to go to trial the next day, and they have zero clue as to the whereabouts of their key witnesses, nor how to protect them. It's just kind of a lazily written character and a waste of McGill's talents. What are the two names? Ramona Ayala and Clark.
1: Are you telling me Ramona Ayala and Clark uh, yeah. were murdered tonight? Both killed? Sylvester Clark for sure. Ramona. Okay, yeah,
0: I got another DOA, Daniel Baker at the South Central. The Mert part. That's three. Three what? Witnesses. This brings me to the trailer moment. This is the scener moment that best describes this movie. Now as much as I enjoy a couple of standout action sequences in this movie and several good dialogue exchanges in the cab between Fox and Cruz, I have to say that I seriously love the sequence where Max, who's now pretending to be Vincent, because Vincent doesn't want to show his face to this guy, he sits down with Colombian kingpin Felix, played by an uncredited Javier Bardem.
1: Do you believe in Hamdi Danty? No. Do you believe in Santa Claus? No. Nor do I nor do I, but my children do, they're still small. But do you know who they like even better than Santa Claus? His helper, Pedro el Negro, black Yeah. There's an old Mexican tale (coughs) that tells of how Santa Claus got so very busy looking out for the good children that he had to hire some help to look out for the bad children. So he hired Pedro, and Santa Claus gave him a list with all the names of all the bad children. And Pedro would come every night to check them out. And the people, the little kids that were misbehaving, that were not saying their prayers, Pedro would leave a little toy donkey on their windows, a little burro, and he would come back. And if the children were still misbehaving, Pedro would take them away and nobody would ever see them again.
0: They go back and forth, relatively quietly, and we hear the Christmas legend of Black Pete. This scene is a true actor showcase with two great actors facing off sitting across a table from each other in a restaurant. Now, does that sound familiar, man fans? It's what he does best.
1: Now, if I am being Santa Claus and you are Pedro, how do you think jolly old Santa Claus would feel if one day Pedro came into his office and said, I lost the list? How fucking furious do you think he would get? Tell me, Vincent. Tell me what you think. (coughs) What? I think you should tell the guy behind me to put that gun down. What did you say? I said, I think you should tell the guy behind me to put his gun away before I take it and beat his bitch ass to death with. I picked up a tail. Federal? I don't know. You tell me. That's why I tossed the list. The workups, all of that shit. To protect, in part, your Hermes Fasunabla ass. What you think I like coming in here? But hey, shit happens. Gotta roll with it. Adapt. Darwin. e Ching.
0: This brings me to the final category, the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. I am genuinely tempted to choose Fox, or the two cinematographers who were really on the cutting edge of shooting at night, but as I've said before, for the best pure genre films, it always comes down to the villain. And Collateral has a fantastic villain whose actions not only ignite the story, but keep it interesting throughout. Now, are some of the actions and capabilities of Vincent a bit on the fantastical side? Sorry, yes. But still, Tom Cruise plays him as a troubled human being with depth, who just happens to be a very adept killer. This is his job, and he's going to do it both efficiently, but with a personal touch. He never plays Vincent as a reluctant killer, but one who knows just when to turn off his emotions at the right moments to get the job done.
1: Well, do? well, you really ain't shit when you're playing next to Miles Davis. <laughs> but he, he carried my ass. What did he <laughs> say? I said one word cool. Cool. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It meant good, but not ready. It meant look me up when you are. What a great story. Mm-hmm. I got to tell the people in Kulakon and Cartagena that story. You know the folks in Kulakan and Cartagena? Right, That's I thought you were, a cool guy. I'm a cool guy.
0: Good job I contracted to do. How's this? I'll ask a
1: question. What question? Jazz question. You get it right. We roll. You disappear. Tonight. If I walk out of here tonight, I will go so far away, it'll be just like I
0: For delivering one of his best career performances and one of the most effective cinematic villains of the past 20 years, Tom Cruise is your MVP.
1: His father was a dentist. He's St. Louis. Invested in agriculture, made plenty of money. He sent miles to Juilliard School of Music, New York, 1945.
0: My rating for Collateral would be four and a quarter stars out of five. <laughs> this is now the fourth Michael Mann film, which I've reviewed for this podcast. And next to Steven Soderbergh, there's no other director who I've covered more. And for good reason, because even though I would not consider this to be top tier man, which would probably be Heat, Thief, previous episodes... It's still pretty great. And if you're looking to watch Collateral, it's streaming at Paramount+. Plus. And that ends another Darwin, Shit Happens, I Ching review. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast, and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema...